Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, and this morning if you are able to keep it open, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Matthew chapter 8 and 9, and as you look for that part in the Bible, we watched the other evening, Elizabeth and I, a program that was on a couple of weeks ago, I don't know whether some of you watched it, it was really tied in with the remembrance of the 75th anniversary, anniversary is hardly the right word to use, but the 75th anniversary of the encounter um, of the Soviet army with the Jews who had been incarcerated, the remainders of the Jewish people and others who were incarcerated in Auschwitz. And it was a program called uh, The Windermere Boys, I think it was, did any of you watch it? Some of you watch it, well can I encourage you? I know it wasn't, it never wasn't a, an entertaining program, it was actually a very moving program, it's still on iClayer, and so can I encourage you, especially if something like that, I don't know if you saw it, Stuart, especially for your teaching and things like that, it was a, it was a very powerful program. And it told the story um, of a few boys and one girl, um, unfortunately, largely boys who survived, or young men who survived the ordeal of being in these concentration camps. But it, it recounted the story of a few of the over 700 young people who were brought to Britain after the end of the last war, who had been found in various concentration camps in Poland and Eastern Europe and indeed in Germany itself. And it recounted the story of some of the boys whose um, who the real people that, that, that are now in their 90s, and indeed they appeared, indeed there was a programme after that, which we're going to watch tonight, which actually where they themselves speak and give story. But it shows how, despite all the challenges, people generally sought to try and help these young people to, to, to come to terms with what happened. You've got to remember, it wasn't the counsellors and all the things that are available for people who have suffered trauma. I mean, really, you know, that one is over who doesn't it? trauma, you know, you maybe, you know, you drop your, your, your tin of paint or you maybe have a wee scratch in the car or something else, you know, uh, that's nothing compared to, as we heard last night and we watched the program, two boys who turned on, on who ended up being on a train for a fortnight with cannibalism and all sorts of things to place, and where, of course, they'd seen their own family murdered, murdered, or taken away to the gas chambers. And it brought home to me just First of all, the plight of the Jewish people, and we do need to pray for Jerusalem and for the peace. Not necessarily, we may not agree, and I certainly don't always agree with what the Israeli government does. And I think we have to destroy the distinction between the Israeli government, as we've been in this country, between the government and the people. So we need to do that to Israel. But to remember the prayer of the Jewish people, because as we're looking at the gospel, particularly Matthew's gospel, we need to remember, of course, that Jesus was a he is the Messiah of Israel. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that the patriarchs pointed towards, that the prophets spoke and testified to, that King David is a, a picture of, and indeed that promise that there would be one who would come that was greater than King David who would sit on the throne of Israel. And that the Messiah, that the Saviour of the world, was born out of the people of Israel. He entered into his own people and took frail flesh. 
and indeed behind all the horrors of the war and one does wonder again how people can do such awful things we also heard on the radio this night a very moving testament of a young man well an elderly gentleman but a young man and his comment was at the train station in, in, in Amsterdam or Rotterdam wherever it was it was just ordinary people who were packing onto these cattle trucks people it was just the ordinary traffic, you know, the, the, the train guards and, and folk just like us doing such, to come as evil things. It reminds us also of that reality that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principality and powers of this race, present age. That Satan, that great adversary, that great hater of God and of his kingdom, hated the idea of God taking flesh and coming amongst us, hates God's people down through the ages. That includes, of course, people of faith, the, the Israel of God today, hates God's people and hates any sign of God's people growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and will do all sorts of things. The two extremes, either the awfulness of the evil that was incarnated in Nazi Germany and in other places down through the world, or will do it in the far more subtle, ah, oh, don't get too stressed. You've got all that you need. These two extremes, and everything else that goes in between, is part of the story of what's played out in the life and ministry of Jesus and what's played out in the life and ministry of God's people from the very beginning of time to the very end of time. And Matthew, writing to a larger, to a Jewish messianic congregations, Matthew wants to remind them and us who this Jesus really is. Right in the middle of the story, after the story that again was done so well, how well known and how much loved the story of Jesus calming the storm is. But if you want to turn Matthew 8 and verse 27, we read those amazing words, very challenging words, when after Jesus calmed the storm. And they were rebuked, the disciples were rebuked for the little faith. And we read in verse 27 of chapter 8 of Matthew, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? this is, that's the question at the heart of all the Gospels and all the Gospel writers. They're bearing witness to a man and they want people, they want their hearers, they want us, they want our community to be stirred to think, well, what kind of person is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? And last Sunday we saw, as we looked as we dipped into the Sermon on the Mount, last Sunday we saw Jesus' teaching, his agenda for the kingdom, that radical agenda that was turned the world upside down, that turned our ideas often upside down, that challenged uh, our, our preconceptions of what is religious, challenged our preconceptions of self, and what, how vital that is, challenged them. We read at the end of that chapter, chapter 7, that when he finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Verse 28, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. But we're only too well aware that one says it's quite easy for someone to stand up front and to sound as if they're authoritative. They can use, they can move people with their words. Adolf Hitler was very eloquent when he got into platform, wasn't he? And it's possible to do all sorts of things with your words. 
But the gospel writers want to say that Jesus had authority, not because just of what he said, but of what he did. And this is, of course, what we're touching upon. Let's read together. When Jesus came down, chapter, beginning of chapter 8, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourselves to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. What's the word suffering? He's got a stroke. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places in the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So who is this Jesus? That's the question. That's the question we've got to think ourselves, and that's the question we've got to pray that others will be provoked to ask. End of the day, we're not in the business of selling that church, because I assure you, it's a however fond we may be of this church, and however precious it may well be to all of us, or certainly to the majority of us sitting here this morning, and however faithful you are, how faithful God has been to us. End of the day, we're not in the business of selling a particular denomination or brand or product. And if we think that, then we're on the road to ruin. Israel, you see, unfortunately, not all of Israel, but the majority of Israel, certainly the Palestine, and certainly the majority of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were in the business, they were selling the business of selling the branding of their religion. And the whole story of the Old Testament is how Israel lost sight of what they were meant to do, that is to be a city set upon a hill, sharing the light of the glory of God to the nations round about, showing by their life, by the way they lived, by who they were, that having a relationship with the Creator God was far better than anything else that the world had to offer. They lost sight of that because they began to sell based on themselves and their own notions and their own understandings, some of which started off very right, but very quickly, once we you know, my friends, once we get our hands on things, we very quickly mess up and botch up. And they did that, and the church does that. Our job, our calling, 
is to be a channel through which by the Holy Spirit people are provoked to ask that question. Who is Jesus? What kind of man is this? And these stories presented to us, not just in chapter 8, not just in chapter 9, but elsewhere through the Gospel writers, these stories of Jesus' ministry where the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the leper is healed. These stories are all back us up of what he said. The healing ministry of Jesus, the demonstration of the power of Jesus in these healings are demonstrations of the fact that Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority and power. And indeed Matthew is very clear, that's why he quotes from Isaiah 53. Interesting enough, the little quote he quotes from at the end of that passage we read is actually taken from the Greek version of the Old Testament. Because the Jewish calling was always to be not for themselves, but for the world, for the nations, for the non-Jews. And interesting enough in this story, yes, we have, we have somebody coming from, you know, that's brought to the leprosy and being healed, who was probably of a Jewish background. But we also have that very moving story of a centurion who came to, to Jesus asking for help. That is a non-Jew, perhaps somebody who was a God-fearing Roman or somebody from another part of the Roman Empire, not necessarily Roman, but from another part of the Empire, and was somebody who had God awareness and had already heard and seen of Jesus and was drawn, but he's somebody who's outside of the narrow confines of being Jewish. Likewise, if you were a leper, you were outside of the narrow confines of being clean, you were unclean, and therefore you were put out and you were kept out because you were a danger carry on we're now having with this thing from China. I mean, if I had my way, as soon as there was a hit event from China, I'd have stopped all flights and stopped any coming in from China. We didn't do it now. It was happening, spreading. And we think, oh, shut the doors and take them out. Well, leprosy certainly in those days, whatever skin disease you had was highly contagious, very damaging, and there was no cure. <coughs> and yet Jesus breaks down these barriers these walls, these closed doors, and he opens the doors of the kingdom to the leper and the centurion. And not just to that, if you flick on and say that's why you need to have your Bibles open, he heals a paralyzed man. Man, verse chapter 9, verse 1, steps into a boat, crosses over back to his own town, probably to the town of Nazareth. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And then some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blasphemed. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easy to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know, listen to this, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority in earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God. A recognition of who Jesus is, the one who has authority. And especially in those days, somebody being paralyzed, whose sin had caused never the disciples. In Luke's gospel, I think it is say to Jesus, Well, what what no, what what's caused this? We always look for a cause, don't the cause and effect, very much the way we think. And so in those days, if you were paralyzed or somebody's done something wrong, some serious sin in your family, or some serious thing that he did, and this is the consequence of that. And then later on in chapter nine, 
raises a dead girl, heals a sick woman, while they were saying this verse 18, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but came and put, come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him, so did his disciples. And just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Then Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl's not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread through all that region. And then reading on, I'm just going to read it because the story is vital. And Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Here is one who has authority. And you know, my friends, I want to stir our hearts this morning. You know, so often we live with the confines, yes, of tradition, of how we do things as a church. Although it's always, I think, important to remember that, as I was out in the bill, the session plan just on Friday, how radically changed, actually, many of this church has been. And it's always important to remember that. That God has been a work over many years, changing the confines of how we understand church and how we thank God for that. But it's easy for us, me included, to be held within these confines. It's very easy for us to be held within the confines of our own mind, of who God is, of what He can and cannot do, of who is welcome and who is not within the kingdom, of how we understand the world. It's very hard for us as, as people brought up in Britain in a Western culture to even see beyond that, that God has His purposes and ways in our bigger world amongst a whole range of kind of people, including the dear folks of China. Just heard recently about, not that long ago, a couple of years ago, there was a mighty movement of the Spirit in Wuhan, and many tens of thousands of people became believers. God prepares a way for those who love Him, even as perhaps someone may have walked through the valley of the shadow. He is far bigger it's easy to stir the children with that, isn't it? That's why we're to become like little children. And be blown away with who Jesus is. Let's sing all that. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is might. Jesus, your name will break every stronghold. Jesus, your name is life in the
waiting for his day of deliverance because of the bondage that's been laid upon it because humanity, fallen and fragile and failing as we are, have misused the good creation that God made. And rightly, we can be concerned. And rightly, we need to do our bit, including recycling and all the rest of it. But we cannot, even the scientists recognize, we cannot turn the clock back. Jesus, tell the length of ages. Be quiet. Actually, we were very quiet. Just more like shut up. I know that's not a phrase you want to teach children. But it was as forceful as that. A forceful command. Be quiet. And they were. And it was a bad storm. That's why the, that's why the disciples were so terrified. They were fishermen, but they hadn't been used to being out of their deck in the middle of the lake. They'd be fishing near part of the shore. And also, they would have seen these things before. The wind comes down between the ravines and the mountains surrounding the, the Lake Galilee. And the whip up of the storm, they would have kept out of that. Let's keep away. But Jesus is the one who inhabits the storm. And he's the one who invites us sometimes to go out of our deck into the most uncomfortable places, to go through the most awful things. Needless to say that, I know I'm saying that, you know, I don't know what that really is compared to even somebody sitting here. Go through the most awful circumstances. Why? So you can testify to the fact that with Jesus in the boat, you can't smile at the storm. And the gospel writers tie that together with the story. Verse 28 of chapter 8, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Now here is Jesus going over to the other side. So here's Jesus again going over outside that narrow confines of what defines Jewish territory. Indeed, over to the other side, even today, to cross over the Jordan is a, is a big thing. And there's a lot of debate as to, you know, the whole issue of settlements and all the rest of it. Well, then it was a big thing indeed to go over to the other side of the lake or of the river, to the non-believing, in fact, perhaps even worse, the perverted believers, the infidels, even to use that kind of language, of those who lived on the other side. That was bad enough. And then to go there, what happens? Two demon-possessed men come, and were they were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? You see, my friends, it's not that... It's not that Satan doesn't believe God. Remember what James says in his letter, you know? You say you believe in God. Well, that's good because, you know, you've got good company. Somebody says they believe God. I'm not suggesting you use this for personal evangelism always. But, you know, somebody says they believe God. You see, good. Slap them in the back and say you're good company because the devil does as well. But enough. The powers of darkness do. They quake at the name of Jesus. That's why sometimes when he's worshipped, proclaimed, he testified, as we see in the gospel stories, for some it's the rumour of life, and for others it's stench of death, and they can't bear it. They want to keep away from it. These demon-possessed man, you, what do you want with the Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And some distance from there's even a message in that, we'll move on. Some distance from them, a large head of pigs now. Let's be honest, we're, no, we're not all kosher Jews, but pigs are a bit of a no-no. If you're not an offshoot, don't go and have your ration of bacon. Unless you're a vegetarian, I don't know if that's allowed or not. He said, you wouldn't. 
It's an unclean animal. Remember again the demarcations, the unclean, all the rest of it. The demons beg Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. They have to inhabit pigs. The warning too is not to dabble in the powers of darkness. But if you do, you have to be got out. And Jesus said to them, go, gave a command. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus and celebrated with him that these two men had been clothed and run in the right mind. Is that what it says? You see, when God works, there's a reaction. Yes, that's great for some. Can I kind of think good on here? After all, that's my business route. Those pigs will kept me clothed. And, you know, you've come over and just stirred things up and caused a problem to us. We're quite happy. Keep these poor folk out there, away from our sight. We don't have to have anything to do with them because they're bad. So we'll keep them out there. Now you've sorted them out. My business is ruined. Out of town, quick. But when Jesus was in the mood, all sorts of ripples will go through the sea. Just as much as the ripples went over the Sea of Galilee. And then, after hearing in chapter 9, the two blind men, then, there's the two blind mice there. <laughs> we read verse 32 that while they were going out with their sight, a man who was demon possessed could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who the mute spoke, and the crowd were amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And Jesus in Luke's gospel tells them how to divide the people. Even if that was that, they're in a promotion for, for their own downfall. Right. So twisted that they see that which is good as bad and that which was bad as good. That's the sin against the Holy Spirit. My friends, if you ever think you commit the sin against the Holy Spirit and you're troubled about it, you've got let's put it say, first thing is, see, you're thinking about it, you have me. Because the sin of the Holy Spirit is to say that which is good of God ultimately is wrong and soon and wrong. <clears throat> you wouldn't even think, you wouldn't even trust your mind to say you. Many stories have come out of the Holocaust of incredible 
human kindness and goodness alongside the incredible human evil and hatred. One of the perhaps most well known was the one of the camps, I think, from which it was Auschwitz, I think it was Buchenwald, where a Roman Catholic priest who had been taken in because he had got involved, but they weren't taken in Roman Catholic priest, always, the people of faith who stood up for that which was right and honourable, just and true, and stood, spoke against, from truth and elsewhere, against the powers of evil, they were taken. And he was in one of the camps, I think it was with a group in the most horrible conditions. And, 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 and even in the midst of that, although he himself was wasting away, literally wasting away through the deprivations that he shared, even the little that he had with some of the most hard, because also in some of these camps, not notions, that's why it was definitely one of these other camps, there were people there who were inverted commas bad people, people who had done things wrong and all the rest of it. They weren't just always Jewish people, there were people who had done other things, crammed. This man of faith reached out a hand. And one of the fellows, particularly, who had been involved in various things, and who was harmed by all that he saw, and very easily, you, the story goes, you could see there was a battle over this man's soul. He could have gone over to the dark side, you see. That, like, no, that's, why, that's why Star Wars is popular in all these stories, because they have that story of, of good and bad, the dark side, the light side. And he could have come over, because as some of you know, some of the prisoners became gas <coughs> and became those who actually pushed people into the gas chambers or took the bodies and shoved them into the prison. And he was one of these guys that could have gone that way in order to save his own skin. But he did, partly through the ministrations of this priest, the time came, of course, when they had done what they could do, they had worked themselves, and they were just, as far as the Nazis were concerned, out of the gas chambers. And there was a quota to go. And the numbers were counted out, and the names were read out. And this fellow, this man who had seen such hard things, and had had such a hard life and reacted off in such a hard way, his name was read out. The priest wasn't. And the what happened? Some of you remember the story. He stepped forward. He knew he was going. Not to the hell hole of the gas chamber, but to the glory of God. That love is a love of authority and power that gives dignity even in death, that enables people to stand even in the most awful, yes, hellish circumstances and say, no, stop. Jesus our Lord shall be great in the earth, and all the earth's kingdoms shall be his dominion. All of creation shall sing of his life. And we'll stand, perhaps we'll hear the tune, first of all, to remind us how it was.
campaign has uh, gone. So if this Jesus is the one who took our infirmities, bore our diseases, has authority over nature and creation and the powers of darkness, who brings healing and health and hope, that who ultimately of everything else can forgive our sins, what should be our response? Verse 18 of chapter 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. A mother of disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And then verse 9 of chapter 9. And as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, tax collectors now are very popular. Tax collectors then who worked for the Romans were, again, another no-no. Okay. So he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, my friends, the presentation of Jesus, the proclamation of the gospel, to see not just by the platform speaker, the pulpit preacher, but by our lives, is meant, is meant to be a very inward nowadays intentional. It was a word that was introduced to me by Nathan and Martin. And I must admit, originally I thought, well, here we go, another one of these catchphrases. But over time, over time, Ian and I have, as we've seen and thought about it, it actually is a very good word, special word, especially for this time. And what it well, means a number of things, but one of the things it means, especially as far as a church concerned, a Christian concerned, we've got, well, let's be honest, if you don't have any goals, well, I suppose it's one thing, you're never going to, you know, not miss, not get up, because you've not got anything to aim for. But the idea is you're meant to be intent and aiming for something. And that aiming, as far as the Christians are concerned, is not, and I say this with respect, but also with reality, is not primarily the things of this world. Jesus makes that painfully clear. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Our intent as believers is not primarily the comfort of this world or the security this world might bring. Nor is it primarily to do the things, dare I say, of this world. That's why when the disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, first of all, that can sound a bit harsh. And sound uncaring. And sound as if he doesn't care about our families. That's not the point that Jesus is saying here. But what he is saying is that in the midst of dealing with these realities, in the midst of the priorities, the demands that come upon our lives, some which are needful, and it is needful to bury your parents, of course it is, Jesus makes a clue to honour a father and mother, but to respect and fulfil the commandments, of course we are. But in all of these things, 
They are not, and it's easy to say, I know, but we have to be clear of this, they are not to ultimately become the determinator or have the prerogative as to who we are and our commitment to the kingdom. And it may be easy for me as a minister who's set apart, and even as a family who were set apart, because it's not just this man, isn't it? It's one of the reasons why I was told, I say to Sam, when he was talking about, come, bring your wife and your children, if you're going to go into this job, just to be a whole thing, a whole family. And it'd be easy for me, because some might feel in my position to say that. Well, maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. But it's true. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these other things that are needed will be added to you. And we see that in Matthew, don't we? The tax collector, again, known to somebody beyond the fringe, well beyond the fringe, and yet he gets up. And he follows Jesus and there's a reaction. And folk don't like especially religious leaders. Because you see, what Jesus is doing is he's turning the world upside down. His teaching said that and his demonstration does that. It's radical. And how my friends in 21st century Britain were talking about a new beginning out of the EU. Whatever we feel about that, we're out. And, and whatever that will bring, we do not know. But in such a culture, the Church of Jesus Christ needs to bear witness to a radical gospel, to a radical God, and to Jesus who turns things upside down from what we think is safe and secure and in our hand. Because we can manage Who is this man? Far bigger than any of us can even imagine. Who is this man? The one who speaks. The blind see. The deaf, the dumb speak. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the demon possessed are delivered. And the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man? What does that say? Jesus is. sing to us the song we're learning or say we're learning um, and so they're going to sing to us if we know it and nobody two of us do know it then please join in and if you're not so sure of it then join in the victim knows you just go quiet while they sing but let's continue to learn this song because it has a point who has the power to raise the dead who can save us from our sin he is our hope our righteousness Jesus only Jesus and I don't have over
Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.